You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop, a full-service barbershop offering high-quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. 10th Ward Barbershop proudly serves the historic Lawrenceville, 10th Ward, and surrounding Pittsburgh areas. Adam frequents 10th Ward Barbershop when he swings through the area and loves Ryan Kane's laser-sharp precision on both his hair and beard needs. But you don't have to take his word for it. WWE superstars Finn Balor and Corey Graves frequent 10th Ward Barbershop for their hair and beard needs. The team at 10th Ward accepts walk-ins, but schedules fill up quickly, so the best way to see them is to make an appointment at 10thwardbarbershop.com. That's 10thwardbarbershop.com. Make sure to grab some Silk Panther hair products in shop or online while you're there. Schedule your appointment today to see Kane, Jordan, and the rest of the team at 10th Ward Barbershop today. And we thank them for sponsoring the program. This is DJ. world welcome and happy thanksgiving from us here at foundation radio my name is adam barnard and we are here today we've brought it back we've resurrected it it is here again today your favorite episodic program periodical from us here at the show you got that right it is sam watches bad wrestling poorly with the executive voice and co-executive producer of foundation radio and from butts carlton media sam Krebs. how are you sir yeah, it is the season of giving, and I am feeling like it is time to reminisce of activities that we say we're going to do every couple of weeks and only do every six months because we're we're parents, we're businessmen, we have many leather-bound books, and <laughs> occasionally we remember to talk to one another. <laughs> We text, we're like, oh shit, you and us will burp, dude. We got to do this. So, welcome to another episode and installment of Sam Watches Bad Wrestling Poorly. Uh, I am also in the uh, the spirit of giving today. Uh, So, in our last episode, when we watched uh, Clowns R Us versus the Royal Family from Survivor Series 1994, initially I was going to have you watch a match that showed uh, Sid Vicious getting his leg broken, but I thought, you know, I don't want to watch that again. I watched it live, and it was fucking horrible then, and it's just as bad now, so I decided we were going to jump over that, and I'm going to show you something a little bit more modern. I'm going to show you a match that is considered one of the worst endings in modern wrestling history. It is Seth Rollins versus The Fiend Bray Wyatt in Hell in a Cell from 2019. Uh, This took place at the Golden One Center in Sacramento, California on October 6, 2019. And Sam, are you familiar with the metrics or the mechanics of a Hell in a Cell match? Let's just say for for the crowd that I'm not. Cool. Um, (laughs) Feel free to explain it for, you know, for the folks at home. I know what it is, (laughs) but for everyone who's listening who 
you know, they're probably the ones that don't. Let's explain it to them. We will explain it to you because that's what we do here. Uh, this Hell in a Cell is basically a big, giant steel cage that is enclosed at the top. And it surrounds the ring and there's no way in, no way out. I mean, unless you're Kane and that's a whole nother story. But it basically is a blow off match, right? And what that means is most times any and there's a feud that gets to this point and it's typically the end of the feud or the blow off point, And that's the last match in the feud that they typically do. And it's usually really violent. It's really crazy. There's no uh, disqualifications. There's no count outs. Uh, the only way you can win is by pinfall or submission. Uh, it's most famous for uh, this match is actually most famous for uh, mankind. Mick Foley being thrown off the top of the cage by the undertaker uh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I believe it was 98 or 99. It's one of the most famous uh, wrestling uh, v- visuals of all time. Um, if you've ever seen anything with wrestling and you've seen a guy with long hair and a white shirt flying off the top of the cage, you're watching a clip from the Hell in a Cell match. Uh, at some I point, think even I have actually heard of that. And we all know how unfamiliar I tend to be with these things. Yes, it is. It's that iconic of a, of a visual that uh, most folks who have, like, like Sam said, have never watched wrestling or maybe have only seen it on like ESPN or, or other news clips have probably seen that clip. So uh, in around 2009, they started making this uh, its own pay-per-view. Uh, so that the final match and typically the beginning match are Hell in a Cell matches. And around this time in 2019, Seth Rollins is the universal champion. So you'll see him with the red belt, which fans will now know as the blue belt. But Roman Reigns has a merged gold version of the belt uh, as he is still our tribal chief and champion uh, right at this moment. But in this match, the brand, uh, the belt was still on the raw brand and the fiend Bray Wyatt had just begun to pick up steam uh, with his new character and they decided that they were going to put him in a feud with Seth Rollins. Are you familiar at all with what happens in this match or anything about this feud between Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins? Not in the slightest that I wouldn't have it any other way as we prepare for, for this entire series. Yes. Um, no, I, I am not familiar with even the net. Well, I knew everything about the hell in a cell. I'm the, the utmost hell in a cell expert, but, um, (laughs) no, I don't know anything about it. Uh, so just as a couple of notes here before we get started, this again, like I said, is one of the worst reviewed hell in a cell matches in the history of the company and has a, uh, a very low rating amongst wrestling fans because of the ending of the match. Our dear friend, Dave Meltzer, uh, said that the main event uh, was perceived as, quote, a disaster, and that's an understatement. Uh, and we will talk about the other responses to this match after we watch it. Uh, but it was panned. I mean, it, it is. And again, you have to watch, like, the onset of the match. You have to watch how they build the Fiend character. I know, Sam, you're familiar with the Fiend character in Bray Wyatt uh, from my son and your godson, James, and his fanaticism of the character. So you're familiar with the sort of um, supernatural abilities of the character and more of the horror version of him. And this match, uh, almost killed the character. The finish almost killed it. So, uh, I am going to go ahead and ask you if you have any thoughts about this match before we watch it. And then we'll tell everybody where to join us. Uh, I mean, all I can really say is that typically the matches where they're confined to some kind of space, have not fared well for the the KRSTM um, as we have come to know it. 
just looking historically, one of my least, the least of my least favorite matches being Kennel from Hell. Um, up there on that list, though, is also the Doomsday Cage. Right. Um, for a very, uh, kind of a very different <laughs> style, but still, uh, nonetheless, it does not fare well for this uh, from its presentation to start in my interpretation of these bad wrestling matches that they are confined to a cage. I'm not always one to say that, uh, you know, I've got, I've started to build a bias, even though <laughs> I don't really know what I'm talking about. Well, um, so I mean, I'm curious where we go. So I know that this one's potentially for a different reason, uh, not favorable among the, the fandom. Yeah, I mean, you know, as far as like a visual perspective, and you can go back and listen to all the Sam Watches episodes right now in the archive at foundationradio.net, uh, and you can hear us talk about all these really fucking terrible matches. But you're right, like there's a certain element where a lot of the cage matches are not as, they don't hold up as well as initially I thought they would, right? Like there's there's something about them that is just not as, as good right. as I thought they would be. I will say, to be fair, one of the biggest criticisms that you had about the Doomsday Cage match was the visibility of the ring itself. There were too many That's, cages. Yeah. There were there was too much blockage as far as what the action was happening. And there wasn't and enough just a bad broadcast presentation in general. Right. I will uh, say not unlike World War Three, 97. Uh, yeah. Some of those some of those matches, just bad camera. This is 2019 where cameras are a lot uh, higher res, a lot smaller and uh, a little bit more curious about how uh, WWE themselves will utilize some of that to maybe benefit in this case. Because some of those, the late 90s and cages and cameras didn't necessarily pair well. So I'll right. be curious. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I've, at least for my taste, and you can let me know as we watch the match, uh, there is a lot of better visuals because there is someone that's inside the actual cage with them while they are fighting. Uh, so you'll see that. So uh, we, without further ado, or uh, a fondue, if you will, uh, we're going to go to your Peacock app. You can pull it up on PeacockTV.com. You're going to go to Helena, so you're going to go to the WWE option, rather. And you're going to go to Premium Live Events, and you're going to search and scroll over for Hell in a Cell. And you're going to go to, is it season 11? Season 11. Season 11, which is 2019. It'll pop up. It's a picture of Bray Wyatt Great. with his face in half. Uh, his regular face on one side and the fiend on the other. And you're going to fast forward all the way to two hours and 42 minutes. Exactly. And we are starting with a black screen here. And after the jump, we're going to come back and tell you what Sam thinks about Helen a cell 2019 with Seth Rollins and the fiend Bray Wyatt. So we'll see you in a second. You wake up feeling tired each morning. Can't seem to get enough Z's to feel energized for the day? Osterin Pethamin may be right for you. Osterin Pethamin is a non-habit-forming, low-impact, high-efficiency, chewable, breakable, pliable substitution capsule. Taken three times a day, Osterin Pethamin allows for a better awakening experience and cuts off the groggy, untested morning feelings. Osterin Pethamin is not for everyone. It's intended for adults 18 years of age or older, but not for older than 26. Side effects may include nausea, eye twitch, serious skin reactions, cardiovascular events, night terrors, anal leakage, insomnia, nervous system disorders, eye disorders, violent and aggressive of diarrhea, hypersexuality, and foot numbness. Talk to your doctor if you experience delusions of grandeur, sleep driving, 
vomiting, sleep eating, frequent urination, mood swings, and headaches. Stop taking Osterin Peppermint right away if you experience nervousness, aggression, sudden erections lasting longer than four hours, hypervirility, and sudden onset support of Donald Trump. Reclaim your mornings. Ask your doctor about Osterin Peppermint from the makers of Olestra. And we're back. Whew. All right, Sam, what did you think about I saw that? a thing. <laughs> um, yeah, it happened. <laughs> Where do we start, dude? Where do we start? Uh, well, we start with the creepy ass, like Barney parody puppet show thing. <laughs> that was the first like two minutes of it. Firefly Funhouse um, was fucking dope. I love that Firefly shit. Firefly Funhouse. Um, I will say, is this maybe the newest that we've watched? I can't remember when. Uh, when was the Zombie Lumberjack match? So Zombie Zombie Lumberjack was after this match. This would be like the I second newest. Say, so I guess you could say it's been a while since I've watched a more modern WWE event. Mm-hmm. And the editing way fancier in the promo. So, uh, and Adam did remind me what we're basically seeing is like the, the hype videos that you're seeing on the, the big screens at the event itself. So nothing necessarily wrong with that. Just different than kind of your usual setups. And I know we were, we were laid into the match. So probably a little bit more color from, uh, from the King and friends, earlier in the match, but just not quite as much, um, in ring promo, anything like that. Um, which is a little different for, um, my more immediate remembering of this stuff. Uh, I would say, so like I kind of predicted, um, camera, definitely a huge improvement as far as being able to see, um, one of my first inklings was that, oh, it's this big red cage. It's going to be hard to see through if the broadcast angles aren't right. But they got nice wide angle lenses all over the cage, a couple guys in the cage. Then they, you know, it's like, oh, this is all going to work out pretty well. Then the red lights come on. <laughs> red lights. Uh-huh. Um, the whole fucking match, I, too. I know. The whole match. I know for a fact, as. Uh, as a graphic designer, as a uh, photographer, videographer, the number one most comforting to the eyes color in any scenario is red and black. I'm being very sarcastic. <laughs> very hard to see um, is basically what it comes down to. Um, wasn't crazy about the, the choice there. Apparently, you said, though, that's a thing for The Fiend when The right. Fiend was doing that. Okay, so um, now it's hard to see on camera. I imagine it's even harder to see in person. Um, and it's it's just jarring, especially when so much of the stuff is already red and black, but it pulls all the other colors out of the spectrum and all you really see it. I commented to Adam, it's like watching pro wrestling through a virtual boy. If you can follow that <laughs> reference. Um, yeah. So um, some of the creepier things to start are, are kind of interesting. It's got that, you know, horror vibe. Um, the fiend walking out with Seth Rollins head as a lamp. 
or a lantern. So that's actually that's is his. An that's one? Bray Wyatt's it's his head. own head. It's his own head. Yeah, Bray Wyatt's head. Okay. Mm-hmm. So all right, that's sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Um, that was definitely creepy. They hung on that for a long time too. I noticed. Um, all in all, though, nothing really terrible to start the match. Um, even some cool production, you know, if I can give the good. Um, I, I like some of the more modern, like, cutting on the, the slams onto the ring and, like, some of the quicker zoom and stuff. It just kind of sell, sells a little bit visually what you're watching. Um, the, the, the It could not get away from the red, though. Over time, it got worse. It got to the point where, like, I started to just get annoyed with the announcers more, um, not for any particular reason, just like, you know, I don't, I'm tired of looking at this odd color palette. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that was apparent throughout and is in these bad matches sometimes is the crowd kind of now that we're not necessarily watching it in real time to, Explain to me a little bit about what made this crowd so, at least from the the storyline input, why this crowd was so volatile towards Seth Rollins, but yet then it seemed like um, no matter what, they were still relatively uninterested at this point. Like, kind of set up that stage for me. Yeah, I think at this point, like, uh, they people weren't really stoked with his creative. Um, if I remember correctly, like they weren't really happy with the way that the, his championship run was going. And then, uh, I think it was, I think it was just dull for people at that time. And his character was very one dimensional, which a lot of the characters for Vince McMahon around this time are, it's very hokey. Um, but then also too, like Bray Wyatt was the, the big thing, right? Like the fiend and the firefly Funhouse stuff was very popular. It took the company by storm. It started to get like, like the pops during the live shows were crazy and people would focus their attention on these firefly Funhouse segments. So they, in a lot of ways, they hot shotted uh, their way to Bray Wyatt being in the championship match. I personally never thought the character needed the championship because you kind of boxed yourself into a corner, which is what happened with him losing the belt to Goldberg at, at super showdown 2020. But I think there were a lot of people who were just really tired of Seth Rollins being in the top spot at that point. So I think it's um, I think that caused a lot of it. But again, I think mostly because Bray Wyatt was the guy. I will say, though, that this particular crowd was not thrilled with the event in general. Um, Again, at that time, like the creative was really kind of stale, like it wasn't wasn't very good, like week to week and, and month to month. It was really dreadful, mostly, you know, you got Roman Reigns fighting with Baron Corbin using dog food. Yeah, it's just it. You know, Brock Lesnar comes in and squashes Kofi Kingston to win the title in seven seconds on the the opening night of of SmackDown on Fox. Like, it was a really weird time for creative, and it's literally butting up right against before the pandemic. You know, in six or eight months, the world shuts down, so things were very very weird inside the company at that time, and 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 it just wasn't. It, it just it really translated poorly on the screen. And while you're listening to it, it's like, Jesus Christ, like nobody's interested in this in any way, shape or form. And that usually is part of it that doesn't necessarily register with me, but having the context of it makes a little bit more sense. So 
I don't know what happens in this one, but we get to a point where a lot of time is being spent outside the ring. And I mentioned it while we were watching. That usually is like a number one, one of what I've found to be the worst parts of these bad matches is when there's a focus on the ring and they're spending most of their time in sort of that um, that alleyway between these cages and the ring. Um, it seemed like about 40% of the beginning action was like in the, the space that's not only hard to watch on camera because the camera guys that are on shoulders can't get there. Their setup angles for the ring aren't there. And then the crowd can't see it either. We're right. already in this crappy red light and it's even darker down there. Um, why the, you know, if I can, if I can speak to the, the design of things, that's a, I feel like that's a choice of the wrestlers. I don't think they're getting told to do that. And I feel like that never adds a ton of value. I think it's novel. I think it gets overused. And I think yes. every time it gets overused, um, it was one of my biggest complaints of uh, Kennel from Hell is that they aren't in the ring. Right. Ever. Right. Um, and, you know, it's hard to not make comparisons to that, seeing them just sort of run around that aisle um, between the ring and the fences there. Um, I think the other thing that tends to just wear on my interest is when the announcers start trying to sell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jerry Lawler is famous for that. Um, we're watching it and he's, he's repeating. He's, he's saying what's happening. Like we didn't just see it. <laughs> um, right. Like there was a few times where it's like, he's not doing it in a way that he sounds excited. He's doing it in a way that he genuinely sounds like he doesn't know. Right. It's like, what happened? He hit him. Like he, did he, or it was, it, it's not even, he's not asking questions. It's like, he, he hit him with that mallet. Yeah, we know. Like, <laughs> you're not a now. This is, and it's not like he's doing it in real time where it's like he's providing like radio common type commentary. It's like, like six seconds later, he doesn't know what else to say. So he's right. Oh, he hit him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, oh, <laughs> like, I just, I feel like sometimes the commentating on pro wrestling is better left, um, in, in, a more sparse nature right trying to overcover just doesn't tend to benefit anything you also get to miss out then on um things like the weird advice that the ref was giving as uh seth rollins is building up this like rube goldberg device of different obstacles to lay on the fiend after we watched him do the same move to the fiend about i I think it was, I, I counted, I think it was actually like 37 times. I didn't count, but it felt ah. like an eternity that Seth Rollins just did the same like knee kick, uh, go to a corner, do another move, go to a corner, do another move. And then it's like, what else do I do now? Well, I'll just start stacking shit on him and right. then I'll hit him. Um, but you miss out when the announcers are talking so much, you miss out on um, the, the the ref talking to Seth Rollins um, in this particular match, I don't know who the, the, the referee was in this one, but, um, I made a comparison to the character Whitey Duvall from the Adam Sandler animated movie, um, 
Eight Crazy Nights, not for his appearance, but for the voice that he would say, it's like, don't do it, Seth. Don't hit him with that. Like, <laughs> put the sledgehammer down. Like, think about your choices. It's like, <laughs> like, if it's one thing that a referee needs to do, it's to provide a moral compass to a professional wrestler, not right. be like a commanding personality, be this like wimpy, wussy sounding ref that like, there's a point in this. So there's a point in this one where if you've see, you've probably seen it by now, but like um, Seth Rollins hits this whole pile of shit with a sledgehammer and that apparently knocks the fiend unconscious after being struck with all these other things. It was the things laying on top of him and then must have been the loud noises of the sledgehammer when he gets hit. Um, but like 35 referees all in stripes come out of nowhere for some reason like and we've watched enough of this to that i know that there's not just like eight referees all standing idly by it's like it's just so unnecessary um so the next question i kind of want to pose i understand that people were upset and that the writing was stale but what the hell actually did happen at the end so they think the fiend is like out, right? And it's all explained in the way I think I interpret it, and then I want to hear your uh, more uh, clear take on this. It would seem that like the fiend got hit with all this stuff. They bring out like the the backboard and everything, and they're doing a very poor job of you know stabilizing his neck and all of that that he would do to put somebody on a bodyboard. They just like pick on, and then at one point they're like pushing on his forehead. It's yeah, great <laughs> way to sell that on camera. Uh-huh. But um, then he gets up, and Seth Rollins is like uh, biting his hand or sucking on his fingers or something. I don't really oh, right. totally get that. Yeah, and then that gets them out of the ring. Uh, they do a particularly, you know, uh, a pretty dangerous looking move that Adam definitely uh, confirmed my thoughts about um, once on a pad. And then they do, then the fiend pulls up the pads, does the same thing onto the concrete and maybe even kind of guides Seth Rollins into the corner of this seating area. Um, next thing we know, there's blood everywhere. I mean, it's, it was very clear. Like he's only bleeding from his mouth. Oh, he must actually be bleeding. Um, no, I mean, I get it. It's a blood capsule, but like the, so the story goes that he, the fiend kind of gets back up, beats him up and then it just kind of cuts, but everyone's still booing. I thought they wanted that guy to win. So I'll start at the top. So at the end of the match, Basically, what happens is he hit him. He the, the ref is basically just trying to tell him to stop. Like you can't do this. Set. Right. This okay. Is who yeah, you are. And you did explain. This isn't you who did you explain are. that part to me. Right. Yeah. And then so they try to put him on the backboard. And then what happens is is that the fiend uses this move called the mandible claw, which is basically it's famous from mankind. Mick Foley. The move is you take these fingers and you shove them. You know the the gimmick is you put it in their mouth and you're choking them. Yeah, I'm doing it on this show. Like you can yeah. fucking see me while you're listening. Yeah. But like you take right. your, your middle finger and your ring finger and you basically you're you're gagging this person. You're you're pushing on their face to try to choke them and choke them out unconscious. 
So that's why it looked like he was like sucking on his fingers because he's well because the way they cut it, it like yeah. looked like that Seth Rollins like elected to put his mouth around his yeah. hand yeah. at first. So and you did explain to me that it's not a thing that they just stop the cell part. Well, that's the other thing too is like they that was the biggest issue with the gimmick was the fact that this match itself is designed so you don't have disqualifications and you don't have ref stoppages like what happened at the end of the match. So the fact that Seth hits this guy with the sledgehammer when he's got all this shit piled on him and then they stop the match, it's like, well, what the fuck was that about? Like, that doesn't make any sense. That goes against the entire story and the entire arc of this match. So he gives him what's called a Sister Abigail, which is like a hangman's move. It's like a hangman DDT or it's they have another name for it. But basically what happens is, is that um, <clears throat> the Fiend had grabbed Seth Rollins by the back of his head and his neck. Um, so Seth or, you know, uh, the rest of Seth's body body is facing or pointing back towards the fiend's back. And he does this almost inverted, inverted flip with him where he kind of like DDTs him onto the floor. It's very, if you look it up, you can see it. It's a very complicated move to explain, but it's also a really dangerous one. And most people are really uncomfortable taking it and you have to be very careful. It's like, it's a whole dance to it. It's a whole routine. Um, which is why the fiend look made it look so good is because he did it really fucking well. And it's basically is his move now. So he does the sister Abigail on the floor and he hits him again with the, with the mandible claw. The problem, the reason that the people were booing is because they were cheering, restart the match, restart the match because they wanted the fiend to put him back in the ring and finish him off for the title. They didn't do that. So as soon as they shut the lights off and they started doing the shiny shit again and the lights and all people were pissed because they're like, well, that's the end. That doesn't make any sense. It's, you know, it was, it was, it was a shitty way to finish the match. So it's like, that's why I think why people were pissed. People loved seeing, as you heard the crowd react as the fiend was overtaking Seth Rollins and different things were happening, but like, boy, not a, and neither of the, that's the other thing too, is like neither of the participants wanted the match to end that way. They were both very upset that the match ended that way because it's not what the original plan was. So, they, so was there an actual like because it didn't seem to me like the official had any real stake in this. Was this like meant to be like, I don't know. I, I don't know how much inside baseball we want to talk about. But mm. like, um, was this like a variable thrown at them in the moment to just see how they'd react? No, I don't think so. From what I don't really know, like they haven't really, they've never really told the full story about like the, the background stuff that was happening, but it was definitely from what their understanding, what the understanding is, is that it was a Vince McMahon decision and it was a game time decision. He just changed the ending of the match, which is typical of Vince. Like he's the kind of guy they'll do a show and they'll write an entire Monday night raw. And three hours before the show, Vince rips the script up and starts over again. And that's kind of what his, his gimmick is. So it's, it's a very difficult line to straddle there. But I think at some point before they went out, they were told what the finish of the match was. And I'm like, well, this is fucking stupid. This is not what we want to do. This is going to make the fans angry. Again, this is all conjecture because they've never actually confirmed it. But the stories are from the background is like, we don't want to do this. This seems silly, but we'll do it anyway because you're, you're paying us. But we know how this is going to end. And it did. It derailed Seth Rollins for a long time. you know. It, and it also made the crowd turn against him more so than they would have had it not finished that way. And I think you explained it to me and I'll have to follow up with like YouTube or something, but the version that we watched is actually edited. Correct. And there was a lot more chanting going on. We heard like restart, restart. But what they also were saying, I understand was 
refund, refund, mm-hmm. and AEW, AEW. Correct. Which um, you all know AEW better than I do, but I'm at least familiar enough with what that promotion is as well. Um, but to actually see that in context, I'm sure definitely even further uh, exacerbates the fact that the crowd was just not into this one. So, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good uh, summation of, of where that match fell. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting one for me because it was bad. Yeah. But surprisingly, I don't think it was nearly as bad as some of the other ones I've seen. Really? I was just about to ask you, where would you put this on the KRSTM? Well, so uh, for the uninitiated to the KRSTM, the my rating scale of all the swoburps that we've done over time um this one, so the top of the list being the least worst, the bottom of my list being um, the worst, at least the way that I tend to keep it sorted. The worst that I've watched being Kennel from Hell, the the least worst being Zombie Lumberjack as kind of my, it wasn't great, but it wasn't, you know, so bad that I was offended by it or anything. Um, just below that is Goldberg and Undertaker. Uh, I forget the context of the timing of that one. I want to say that was not that far before this one. Correct. Yeah, where, this was... Uh, it was just an unsafe match. Mm-hmm. What? That, yeah, it was. That match was just unsafe, and that was one yeah. of the main reasons that it was pretty bad. Um, I want to say that this may sit just below Goldberg Undertaker on the scale, mm. uh, kind of slotting between Goldberg and Undertaker. And the David Arquette WCW title. Interesting. Um, I don't like the presentation of it helps. That's a big factor in my my weighing. The red light is killer, but ultimately the camera work is just so much better on this one that I was at least able to follow it. The audio is just so much better in the more modern um, wrestling that uh, you know, despite what the announcers are saying you get a pretty good shake of what the wrestlers are saying in the ring. Um, obviously more modern broadcasts have the benefit of years and years of development. So that just, it plays to its favor. But at the end of the day, you know, Seth Rollins and fiend are at least some of the other ones that what's missing for me is some of the more, you know, aerial type maneuvers, some of the more flashy looking moves, this is full of that. It's just a really bad execution of narrative. It's a really bad, um, you know, scenario to have left everyone in. Clearly, nobody's happy with the result of it. Um, but at the end of the day, um, there's not dog shit everywhere. There's not <laughs> a, a brief moment of, you know, two people touching fingers and now something has magically changed. Um, the, some of the more gimmicky things of the early nineties, I think still sit well below this. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I feel like at some point I'm going to need to rewatch some of the other ones because as I'm saying some of this, um, I feel like 
So the other, so the other ones on the list that we haven't talked about yet right. uh, that I've referenced anyway, Royal Family and Clowns Are Us is pretty down there. Survivor Series 94. Doomsday Cage is on there. Hogan Warrior 2 and World War 3 97. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like World War 3. It's hard to watch just because it's hard to follow. I don't know what the hell's going on the whole yeah. time. Hogan Warrior 2, um, I think the whole transfer of power thing with the hands is the, one of the stupidest things I've ever seen pro wrestlers try to sell as like a move. I just don't get it. Um, Doomsday Cage, I think I gave a bad rap. Interesting. I feel like potential for some redemption there because I feel like the wrestling was way worse in doomsday cage compared to this, but um, I'd have to see if it was worthy of redemption someday. I feel like there's so much more bad wrestling to yeah, watch before so much, we get back to that. Point. So much. To, but, so we, we could, I would love to, to revisit that and pull from that show and uh, see if we can give it a nice, you know, up, uh, upvote maybe and move it somewhere down on the list. But no, I, I dude, I got to agree. I feel like, and we talked about it while we were watching, you know, the match itself, the mechanics of the match are not bad. They're good. It's, it's, it's well orchestrated. It's well written together. They have a good rhythm. Um, a lot of, like you said, a lot of the flashy moves are there. It's just the, the storytelling and the, and the ending are just fucking dreadful. And it's like, you and, can't even, you know, and, and again, it's like you, you, you that the the whole the whole issue with the fiend that was putting the title on him is like you're boxing him into a corner you know the entire point of the character of the fiend which is the next match we're going to watch you know for the holidays the whole point of the fiend is to 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 take you to places that you didn't know you were it changes your character right so somebody like a Seth Rollins or someone like a John Cena that you'll see next time uh, it, it's supposed to change the narrative and the, the trajectory of the, where the character is going. Daniel Bryan is involved with the fiend, the Miz, right? All these people that get involved with Bray Wyatt, they end up becoming something different. They become different than what they are before they got in the ring with him. So I think that to me was the real story of the fiend. And I think they were just like, well, we're going to capitalize on this pal and we're going to make him champion. And it just, it, you're like, well, now what do we do? Because this guy's unstoppable. How do we get away from this? You know? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think in the end, it's it's gotta resonate with all the parties involved, and when the wrestlers and the audience aren't into what's happening, they're going through the motions. And these guys clearly talent more talented than even some of the people that tended to get thrown into some of the other matches that I've watched. Um, so. And obviously, just given the two uh, wrestlers, sort of like some of the other matches where clearly the wrestlers are better than the story itself. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely more to that. So I'll be curious. So you said you want to watch. Yes. Uh, is that uh, WrestleMania 36? That's correct. Firefly Funhouse. Now, this is a match. Um, we're going to watch this next time we come in because we're going to do a special holiday uh, edition of Swaburp. And we're going to watch this match. And I want to watch this match because people say it's bad. I do not think it's bad. I think it's one of the best pieces of uh, storytelling that WWE has ever done. And I think it's one of the best things I've ever watched in wrestling. And I know that's a very controversial opinion, but as an art, as an art person and as a stage person, I think you're going to appreciate this a lot. So I definitely want to watch this match with you. It's the Firefly Funhouse match from WrestleMania 36 in the pandemic era of wrestling. There's no one in the crowd. It's called a cinematic match. <clears throat> It's called a cinematic match. 
and it's fantastic and it's it's a unique spin on what they were doing before. So I think I genuinely believe you're going to you're going to like this one and we're going to watch that next time we're here. Any final thoughts Mr. Executive Voice Sam Kreps on the Helena Cell hope- 2019. Do I have to listen to Jerry Lawler more for a while? I'm kind of tired of him. <laughs> no, the King will not be involved in anything going forward as far I as I'm no aware. I have no ill will toward the King, of course. He yeah. is a legend, and I have a lot of respect for him. But the last two matches have not uh, suited him particularly well, both as uh, himself or whatever iteration you want to refer to him as in the royal family or uh, – or was he? Yeah, he was the royal family, he was, the royal was he family. not? Yeah. yeah, he was. The and then as the as the color commentator in this match, just not uh, not sitting well with me at the moment. So the only other thing I was going to mention is I have it in my notes that uh, perhaps we need a maybe a holiday twofer or something. You also had pegged uh, Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes. Yes, for Christmas time, we're actually going to watch. So what we'll do is we'll give you a twofer. We'll give you a back to back episode. It's going to be uh, watching actually good wrestling. So it's going to be the main event. Right. That's right. <laughs> it's going to be the main event of WrestleMania 39 because we're prepping for them to arrive here for WrestleMania 40 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And this Ew. is very likely going to be the main event for WrestleMania 40. And we're going to watch uh, the head of the table, the tribal chief, Roman Reigns, defend his undisputed Universal Heavyweight Championship against the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes. On night two of WrestleMania 39 is a fantastic match. It is one of the best rated matches of the year. And I think you deserve to watch it because I've shown you enough shitty wrestling this year (laughs) and last year that you get to watch something good. So we will spin that up. Everyone. (laughs) So you get a special two for episode from us. Maybe I'll even make that one YouTube, uh, YouTube exclusive. Maybe you can only find it on the old YouTube, but you got to subscribe today, like comment and subscribe at the YouTube channel. And then don't forget to follow us everywhere. You can follow me on all my socials at This Is Goober. Yes, that's my handle. No, I'm not changing it. It's a brand pal. And you can find Sam on Instagram at Slambcraps. And follow him for all of his yes. delightful stuff at the the uh, at his place of employment. He gets a lot of good stuff and a lot of good feeds up there. So for the generic DJ, the executive voice, Sam Kreps, this is Adam Bernard. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you. And we'll see you again next time. Bye. Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and produced by Adam Barnard. Additional production and narration provided by Sam Kreps. The show was mixed and engineered by Carl Pinnell. Our intro and outro music was performed and produced by Dumb Ugly. Additional musical accompaniment provided by Enrichment. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Follow us on Twitter at FND Radio Pod and find our entire archive at foundationradio.net. This has been a Butts Carlton Media Production. Butts Carlton, proprietor.